And uh, we've been in this series that we've titled Life on the Balance. And uh, one of the things that, that we've been talking about is health. And today I want to depart from a story that I heard a long time ago. And it was about this young man who, who was looking for a job. And near his house they were uh, uh, setting up labor for those who wanted to, to cut trees down. So he went and applied for the job. And the day when he came in front of the foreman, the foreman told, saw him kind of young and said, well, show me how you can cut this tree down. So the young man grabbed an axe, an, an axe and began to swing at the tree and he cut it down perfectly. So this young man got the job. So he worked on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, and on Thursday, the foreman called him and said, you know, young man, uh, today as you go home, pick up your check. And the young man said, well, um, sir, I, I thought that we get paid on Fridays. And he said, that's correct, but today we're letting you go. So the young man said, why? Why are you letting me go? And he said, well, you know, on Monday you were in first place, and, and, and you've been falling until today. You're in last place. So we have to let you go. And he said, this young man to so the foreman, you know, I've been working really hard. I've been even working through my coffee breaks. Of course, he didn't drink coffee. He was, you know. So, 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 so he said, you know, give me another chance. And this foreman looked at the young man and he said, have you been sharpening your axe? And the young man replied, well, I've been working so hard, I, I don't have time to sharpen the axe. See, some of us have been too busy with life and we haven't stopped to sharpen our axes. So today we want to speak to you from the topic of fitness, spiritual fitness. If you have your notes, open, open your notes and let's go to the Bible. And let's go to the first epistle of Timothy, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And he got real quiet real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For what bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. To be spiritually fit, we need to exercise ourselves spiritually. See, for physical fitness, there's so many kinds of disciplines. There's boot camps, and there's CrossFit, and if you're a little bit older, there's aerobics. And if you don't like to leave your house, there's P90X. But there's all kinds of things that we can do to be physically fit. But see, the question this morning is, what are those spiritual disciplines that can help us to be spiritually fit? I'd like to suggest to you this morning that one of the things that could help us renew our strength, our spiritual strength, is through worship. See, Isaiah describes worship in this way. Chapter 40 of Isaiah, verse 31 says, But they who wait, and some of you might know this by, by heart, but those who wait for the Lord, they renew their what? Strength. Their strength. They shall mount up wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
See, during the week, we get drained in many ways. We get drained emotionally. We get drained, we get drained uh, relationally. We get drained mentally. And, of course, we get drained spiritually. We, we get worn out at the end of the week. We're dead. We're tired. And see, it, it wasn't by chance that, that when God created this, this planet, God worked at it for six days. And on the seventh day, God rested. Now, did God need to rest? No, that is the question that we always ask. God did not need to rest. But God created the Sabbath for our benefit. Now, the crazy thing about this is that that act of resting on the Sabbath, the Bible calls it worship. And so the only way that I want to share with you this morning that we can begin to renew our strength, even physical strength, is to dedicate time to worship. See, when we focus on God, we stop fo focusing on ourselves. Even better, when we focus on God, we, we, our focus is removed from our problems and now it's placed on God. And when we open our hearts and our minds to worship God in the true way, in the way he describes it in the Bible that we should do, then what happens is that our problems become smaller because we see the size of God that is greater than our problems. So an, an alternative to worship is worry. When we don't worship God, we worry more. But when you worship, your strength. Is renewed. So this morning I'm going to ask Janelle to come and share with us some of the reasons why worship is beneficial for us. How many people have ever been in a position where you can't move, you can't get out of bed? Whether it's sick or whether it's injured. And when that happens, don't you like look at people who can and go, oh, I just wish I could move. I just wish I could go and do something. I'll even, laundry even looks fun, just to be able to get up and move and do something. Do you move regularly? And I'm not talking about what we talked about last week. Not your bowels, but your body. Because <laughs> that's what we were created to do. We were created to move. One of the, big, one of the things that you know, Christ said to his people is, says, go and make disciples. Go is a verb. It's a movement. In 2015, we had 55 million people in America that had gym memberships. And everybody knows that we're good gym membership people between December and maybe February at most. Because people were really excited for change then. But we also have one of the highest rates of um, obesity and we have one of the highest rates of people who are sedentary, which people that don't move. And it costs us, in 2015, $25.8 billion we've spent on gym memberships. And I heard it said that there's more weight off your wallet than off your waistline. So, but I have some good news for you. Movement is free. So TGIF, thank God it's Friday. Yes, for us Sabbath keepers, that is a thankful thing. So we can rest, but movement is free. And did you know 
that in the blue zones, I talked about one last week in Loma Linda, they live really a long, long, long time. And not only do they live a long, long, long time, they're very healthy and very active still. Some 100-year-old people are still very active. Do they go to the gym membership? Do they run marathons? No, they're active. They move naturally. They go throughout their space moving. They, they grow food. They still have, they take care of their lawns. They, did you hear that? They mow their yards still. They don't have gardeners. No offense to gardeners. They swim, they ride bikes, they go on Sabbath afternoon hikes with people. They just enjoy moving. They vacuum their house. They're just all about moving. Um, and they rake their leaves instead of blowing them with a blower. Did you know raking leaves actually can cause you to work up a sweat? Ask your child to do it. I'm sure they'll complain and let you know that it's hard work, especially during this heat. And we learned last week about improving, um, actually the week before, improving our sleep makes us better temple warriors. When you move, you sleep better. When you move, your endorphins in your brain kick in, and those are natural painkillers. Though you may be sore from the movement, don't do too much, but you may be sore from the movement, but you're gonna produce endorphins that are gonna cause you to have a, re a reduction in pain. Um, Again, the potty talk, it eliminates toxins. When you move, your bowels will move. When you move, your body's gonna sweat. You're gonna release toxins. So you're gonna make yourself a better temple warrior. And it decreases your blood sugar and your blood pressure when you move. Okay, I've been told by quite a few people that figuratively, I've been sitting at your dining room table. Um, that conversations of sugar, conversations of sleep, have been coming up. I'm kind of glad about that, but for a moment, I would like to invite you to my table of life with God and let you know how he has impacted me with the message that I've been preaching or teaching to you. I wasn't raised in SDA. Um, I was raised a pork-loving, meat-loving family who didn't go to church except on Christmas and maybe Easter if we were lucky. Um, but I was convicted early in life that the body was a temple of the Holy Spirit and I became a vegetarian. So when I learned of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I was so excited. Like, wow, they have the health message. And so I started to study with them and other things became even more beautiful, the Sabbath and the sanctuary message. But seven years ago, I attended a 50-hour training in the Eight Laws of Health. If you don't know what that is, see me, see me afterwards, but it's a church doctrine kind of health message. And let me tell you, God's timing is so perfect. Because after I did that training, I implemented it. And then, something wasn't right in my temple. I went to the doctor. I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, um, which is where my body is out of whack and it's attacking tissues in my body, my, my thyroid. I love the laws of health because it treated the symptom, or it treated the cause and not just the symptom, which would be my thyroid health. It helped me learn to treat the immune system. And praise God today, 
I've still, I'm not on any thyroid medication. I feel wonderful. Um, my, doctor's, my doctor's impressed that I've been able to stay off of thyroid medication. Um, but that's through the prayer and support of my family. And not just that, but I get to witness to other people who have similar issues. When you have an autoimmune disease, it opens you up to other autoimmune diseases. So many of you know, who know me, um, I eat really well because of my autoimmune disease. And so I had to go to the doctor like every three or four months for regular blood work. I hate needles, absolutely hate needles. I'd have to do my breathing exercises the night before I'd go in the morning to take my blood. So um, I went in for a routine blood checkup. My doctor told me I was pre-diabetic. I was floored. I was just, I was devastated. I cried. I cried in the doctor's office. I cried in my car on the way home. I was like, why me? Why me? But that was my flesh speaking, because I was afraid of needles. Um, <laughs> but then God just quietly said to me, why not? Why not you? I'm with you. I've been with you. I'm not going to leave you now. I'm going to walk with you. Don't worry. And with that, again, God's timing is beautifully perfect. I was volunteering at Pathways to Health in LA. And part of the training, I had to do diabetes undone. This is prior to my diagnosis of pre-diabetic. I had to do the class with Dr. Youngberg, who's been at this church. And in my devastation and weeping and crying, and when God was saying, don't worry, I'm here, he says, don't you remember? It was like a light bulb went off. I'm like, yeah, why don't I just practice what I learned? And so I did. I was gonna treat the cause, which was insulin resistance, not high blood sugar. So with the eight laws of health, and I also was certified as a nutrition consultant and a master herbalist, I started looking at myself differently and the way I treated my body. Um, and I'd say with his strength, with his wisdom, with his power, with the prayers and the support of my husband and my wife, I'm no longer pre-diabetic. I'm no longer insulin resistant. But for me, Yes, going to that doctor that day was scary, but the presence that I had, knowing that he had been with me all that time up until then, that was priceless. Because my relationship was totally renewed. Um, and my doctor, now she sends me clients because she if people want a diet or lifestyle change to help them with their, either their diabetes or their, or their autoimmune disease, she sends them to me. I feel amazing. I have no more brain fog. Um, I have more energy, and you know what? I used to CrossFit train with my husband. I didn't lose much weight. With this program, and I'm gonna tell you a little bit about just the exercise piece, I lost 30 pounds, 30 pounds, and I wasn't exercising like a, a maniac. So I'm gonna share with you, if you wanna write it down, it's a good thing unless you've seen Dr. Youngberg. Within 40 minutes of eating, your blood sugar is going to go through the roof. That's when it's going to spike. So within 40 minutes of eating, Dr. Youngbird says, go for a walk. 
I said, okay, sometimes I can't go for a walk. But you know what? I always have a chair. So what I would do is within 40 minutes of walking, I would do squats of some sort. I made a muscle part of my body burn and say, let that insulin in. And during that time, you know what I'm doing? Talking to God. Praying to him for the strength and the power and the wisdom and not the laziness of, oh, I don't have to do it today. I was growing dependent upon him. When I'm at work, same thing. I take the stairs instead of the elevator, especially after I eat. Or if I'm near a wall, I could do wall push-ups until my biceps burn. And I would do this all the time on my trampoline as well, making my cells demand the energy, making my mind dependent on God, because I couldn't do it by myself. If you can't walk, let's say you are still in bed and you can't do it, you can still use your arms just until your muscles burn. That's when it's, your body is telling you, okay, I need the energy, you could stop now. Then you stop. The body benefits from movement and the mind benefits from stillness. When I say stillness, I don't mean go to sleep. The mind benefits from being still with me. Know that I am here. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm always with you. But we have it backwards. Our bodies are still, but our minds are constantly active. We receive so much information, whether it's driving on the freeway, it's commercials, it's all kinds of ads. We're just bombarded with information that doesn't let us hear that still, small voice that's saying, I'm here. Just follow me. So let your mind be still in him through prayer, through Bible study, through worship, and all that you do. I was blessed because I was forced to remember because I ate about three times a day. That's kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I had to be aware of my temple three times a day because I wanted, I didn't want to be shot with needles. Have to, I don't, mm You'll pick me up off the floor <laughs> if that happened. So what's one way you can increase your movement today? One way. And do it within 40 minutes after you eat if you have a blood sugar issue. And if not, still do it. I still try to do it today. So I encourage you to let your body move and let your mind be still. Thank you. Thank you, Janelle. So spiritual fitness. How can we improve our spiritual fitness? Uh, those are the health benefits and, and how to uh, prepare our minds for, for, con for connection, for, have, for having a connection with God. But I, I want to share with you some of the reasons and some of the ways that we can improve our spiritual fitness. And one of them, the first one that I want to share with you is that it is through prayer, through prayer. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, we have a, a story where Jesus actually prayed. And it's quite interesting because the way it's worded in the Bible tells us a lot of what this meant. And it says in Luke chapter 6 verse 12, in these days, 
he, meaning Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Now, this text is, is loaded with information. And one of the things that we need to understand is that when Luke writes this chapter, he's describing the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Now, one of the questions that comes to our head is that, well, did Jesus actually need to pray? Because he is God. Now, think about this. Jesus didn't pray because he wasn't able to do things. Jesus prayed because in that way, he assured his success. Let me say that again. Jesus didn't pray because he wasn't able to do things. Jesus prayed because in that way, by praying, he ensured that he was going to be successful through his ministry. Now, one of the things that we have to pay attention to is the, the phrase, in these days. See, in these days, in the Greek, it, 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 it's the word egeneto. Can you say egeneto? Egeneto. And, and, and this same word is the root for Genesis. And you know what Genesis means? Beginning. The beginning. So, so uh, let, let, let's ponder for a second on this phrase. In the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, Jesus did not start his ministry, as we've heard many times, performing water into wine. He began his ministry praying. Uh, are you waking up now? So what is the thing that you're going to start today? What is the thing that you're about to start? Maybe school year, maybe a new job, maybe a new family, maybe a relationship. What is the thing that you're about to start? If you don't start praying, you might be gambling the success of that endeavor. See, what Jesus is telling us today, that in order to be spiritually fit, the first thing that we need to do is to practice praying. Now, Bill Hybels uh, was the author of the book, Too Busy Not to Pray. And he talks about people who are extremely busy. Are you busy during the week? You know, sometimes we get too busy that we just don't have time for those things. But he says this to us. He says, it is important to have a regular time for prayer. Because without regularly, prayer will never become a habit. We need to tune into God once a day, every day, without fail. We need to lay aside our other concerns and focus on God. Look at Him, talk to Him, listen to Him, sit quietly before Him. Now, I love this book. It's one of my favorites because it, just the title, when I bought it, when I was a student in, uh, uh, in theology, uh, this is a long time ago. Um, when I bought this book, the title attracted me, Too Busy Not to Pray. And he comes to the theory, the title says it all, that when you have more things to do in your life, you need the more prayer. So I think that applies to all of us. And as we pray, we should not focus on, on, on us and the mountain of our problem that we have before us. See, prayer is not coming to God and telling him things that he does not know. See, it's not like one day you, you say, God, you know, today I, I face this and I have this issue and this. And God is going to say, oh, really? I didn't know that. You see, that is never going to happen. Yes, you can tell God all your problems. Yes, you can tell God all, all, all the things that are going through your mind. Yes, that's what prayer is for. But in reality, prayer is for us to contemplate the size of God. 
Because that is what prayer is about. It's to have a continuous experience of getting to know God and allowing Him to come into our mind so that we don't see the size of our problem, but the, we experience the size of God. So, so the first thing that we need to understand is that prayer helps us to stay spiritually fit. C.G. Uh, Spurgeon, uh, known as the Prince of Preachers, he said, God never shuts his storehouse until you shut your mouth. And we could stop the message right there. But I would not shut my mouth. I'll continue. Uh, through prayers, we'll find that peace of mind is replacing the panic in our lives. So family, prayer is the first element that would allow us to be spiritually fit. The second element that I want to share with you this morning is that not just prayer helps us to be spiritually fit, but also Bible study. Bible study. And you see... A lot of our problems, a lot of our worries, a lot of our concerns depart from the idea that we only see the small picture. We miss the big, the big plan. We miss the big picture. So our perspective is very limited. Our perspective is only focused on one area, but we miss the whole of life. And that is why, because we focus only on the little things, on our problems, we think that that is all there is. And we are living in a life that is full of concern, worry, and and, 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 and preoccupation. So John explains it like this in chapter 8 of John, verse 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. Now, I don't know if you see it here, but he's talking to people who already were his followers. Are you with me? Seems like the summer is getting on you. And Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, this abide, abide, is an issue of residence. It's an issue of where you are. It's an issue of, of existence. It's an issue of presence. It's an issue of belonging. If you abide in my word, if you make your word, my word part of where you are. Now, notice that it doesn't say, if you allow my word to abide in you, it has to, it's not to have his word part of our life, but be our life part of his word. He says, you truly my disciples, verse 32, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. There's two things that happens when we study the Bible. The first thing that happens is that we develop a connection. A connection. What's the first thing that we develop? A connection. A connection. But the second thing that we develop, and this is even more important, is that we develop a perspective. You see, uh, when architects are going to, to build a, a structure... What they do is that they just don't sit in the room and begin to draw. What they do is that they go to the place where the building is going to be built. They go to the place, they observe, they look at the ground, they look at the, at, the, at the environment surrounding it, they look at the light, at the sunset, they look to see where it would be best to place windows, to place doors. They look at the current of winds blowing into the building, how that could affect the, the temperature and how the building could be more efficient. How can in the morning wake, they could wake up and see the, the, the sunrise? How can the building be more accessible? They look at all these things and they stand for a place, from a place when they can visualize how the building is going to be like when it's completed. That point of observing what's not there yet is called a perspective. Are you with me? 
See, oftentimes we just focus on the task at hand, but we miss the perspective. We see what God sees. And you see, when we read the scriptures, God is never, and, and listen carefully, because I've heard people saying, I've been praying to God, I've been asking God, and he told me this, even though it's contrary to what he's already said in his word. And you see, God is never going to contradict himself. Can you say that with me? God is never going to contradict himself. So if it is already his word, he's not going to change his mind. Oftentimes we're praying for something that, God, that is contrary to his word and we're expecting a response. But God is not going to change that. He already said what he likes. He already said what he's going to do. He already says what, he, what we should experience. So see, he's not going to change his mind. And what happens is that oftentimes we focus on our thing and what we want that we miss the whole perspective. So when we study the Word of God, we discover and we grow, not only connecting with Him, but also we discover that there's a bigger picture. So when we understand the perspective of God by reading His Word, we begin to get spiritually fit. So there is a process as we study the Bible, and the first part of the process is that we read it. Have you ever read the Word? At least once? When we read the word, one thing happens, and, the, and that's the first level of connection. And the first level of connection is that we, we start to learn about God. When we read the word, we start to learn about God. But see, knowing about some, someone and knowing somebody, it's two different things. You can know a lot about a person. See, I, I, I've been following the Dodgers since 1979. Maybe some of you... Uh, from longer time. But see, my dad used to play baseball when I was a kid, and I grew up with baseball, and my dad and I, oftentimes, we just go to the stadium alone by ourselves, and we just talk about baseball because that's our thing. My dad talks about the Dodgers from the past, and I talk about the Dodgers of the present, and we build this connection. And it's interesting that I know statistics from 1981. I know the lineup for the Dodgers from 1981 when they won the World Series against the Yankees. I used to learn, I used to know batting averages before internet. And I knew a lot about the players. I knew what numbers they were. I, I would ask my dad, hey, you know, remember who used to wear 44? Kenny Landro, he was a center fielder. See, I, I remember things like that. And I know a lot about the prayers, but I have never shaken their hands. I have never spoken a word to them. I have never had a meal with them. I don't even know how their voice sounds. Because, see, knowing about someone and knowing someone, it's a completely different thing. So, see, when we read the Word of God, we start to learn about God. So that would take, should take us to the next level. And the next level is to study it. Reading and studying are two different things, students. You could read for a test. It's different than studying for a test. Because, see, when you start learning things, when you, when you study, you just don't read. You just know about it. You know it. You can't repeat it. You, you have already internalized it. And, see, when you read, you, get, you, you start to learn about it. When you study, it begins to change you. So when you read the Word of God, you might, know, you might start to learn about God. But when you start studying the Word, when you study His Word, it begins to change you. Because now His perspective is becoming part of your life. And that would take us to the third level. Are you ready for the third level? That's 
memorize it. And some of you have said, I've heard it many times, well, I'm, you know, I'm old, it doesn't really stick anymore. Oh, yes, it will. It will. And in fact, that is a biblical promise. It is a biblical promise in such a way that there's going to be times when the Holy Spirit will remind us of the things that once became part of us. And He will give us the words to say in the moments that we need to. Have you heard that before? That's a biblical promise. So, so when we read it, we, get to know, we, we start to, to, to know about God. When we study it, we, 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 it becomes part of our change. And, and then when we memorize it, we become part of God's word. But see, oftentimes it's like, if I were to tell you this morning, I discovered a new diet. Let me share it with you. It will change your life. For six days, you fast. But, on, but the seventh day, you eat all you can of anything you want. But in order for this diet to work, six days you have to fast. I don't know if you see it, but that's what a lot of Christians do. We fast from the Word for six days, and in one day we try to gobble it all in. That's completely unbalanced. In order to grow spiritually healthy, we need to develop a balanced spiritual life. It's a, it's, it's a process of, daily, of a daily intake of God's Word. So, so two things we've learned about a spiritual uh, fitness. The first one is, okay, good, two are awake. Prayer. And the second, Bible study. Are you ready for the third? But ready or not, here it comes. Witnessing. Oh, yeah. What do you, what do you think? What comes to your mind when, when you hear witnessing? Some of you are like, yeah. Some others are like, ah. And see, and part of that problem, part of that problem is because we have the wrong concept of witnessing. See, witnessing means only to tell a story. See, let's look at the Bible. 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready to say the reason why you have a hope. Now, interesting about a witness. Because see, Jesus told us to be witnesses. In the book of Acts, we find all about witnessing. And witness is somebody who has been there, who experienced it, who saw it firsthand, who heard it firsthand, and who can tell the story. Correct? So a witness is not somebody who becomes a persecutor. A prosecutor. A witness is not, some, is not somebody who is going to be a defense lawyer. In fact, a witness is not somebody who is going to investigate the case. A witness is just someone who can tell the story 
on the facts. I don't know if I told you this, but, but a while ago, uh, I, I was, I was a, a pastor in a church, and my office was in the second uh, story in the back of the church. And uh, the, the street, the street was, was a major street, and, and the, the church building was in between two uh, apartment complexes. And what happened was that I was in my office one afternoon, and, and I heard the, this, the, the, this, this creaking of wheels, like, and then the sound. You know the sound? So everybody from the apartment buildings, everybody stuck their heads out of the windows. They, they, they went down there to see what had happened. And you know, I needed to go down there to pray for people in case they need it. So, so I went down there. <laughs> you guys are slow this morning. Uh, so I went down there. I went down there to see. Now, it didn't take too long. It didn't take too long because it was, it was near a major street in the valley. And what happened was that a lot of patrols came. And what happened was that some of the police officers that were there began to ask people, are you a witness? When that question began to be asked among the spectators there, people began to go back to the apartments. Nobody wanted, wanted to tell. Nobody wanted to do that. Now, part of the reason was because they wanted people to go, to scram, to go back and to leave room for whatever they needed. But another reason was because they wanted to find out the truth. However, however, a, a lot of the people heard what happened because somebody else had told it. In fact, when I got there, a lot of people had already been there. In fact, all I heard was, was the accident, the noise, but I didn't know what happened. I didn't even know what cars hit until I went down there and I saw the damage. But there were a couple who actually were there when the accident happened. They were not in the accident. They were not driving the vehicles. They were on the street. And they observed what happened. Those two were the only actual witnesses because they saw it. Now, one of the things that happens to us, especially as Seventh-day Adventists, we are great at telling Bible stories. We are great at telling somebody else's story. But we are awful at telling our own story. When somebody has a question, the first thing we do is we turn into a Bible text to prove that they're wrong in what they're doing and we have the truth. Or we turn into a quote from Ellen G. White that we don't even live. But to tell our own story, we are horrible. Because we didn't grow up in that way. We were not taught in that way. We were not instructed to witness in that way. We were taught a cognitive way to tell the verse that proves the thing. But unfortunately, we never moved to the next level in Bible study. And the next level is to make it our story. It's to internalize it. Because only when you internalize and when you are seeing things from the perspective of God, that that experience become yours and then you can have a story to tell. So the challenge for you this morning is to start moving from step one, just reading the Bible, and moving to a change of life. See, a lot of other denominations, they understand that, they, they, that part of the story. They have their story, and, and that's what they have. They might not have a Bible text, but they have their story. Now, that is good, but they're missing the other part. So what I'm suggesting to you is that we need to have both, because a true witness... Has a whole perspective. 
So what I'm trying to tell you, family, is not to forget your Bible text. It's to bring that Bible text to your life so that you can see the whole perspective. So you can have the whole thing. See, the Bible says this, but this is what I've experienced. Now, why am I telling you this? You see, in Israel, there are two lakes. We will call them lakes in, in our country. Over there, they call them seas. It, it, really, there's really not a Hebrew word for lake. It's just sea. So what happens is that these two seas, one is in the north and one is in the south. And some of you will get a chance to experience this next year. Don't forget to register. This is in the north and this is the Sea of Galilee. You hear all the stories about Peter fishing and when Jesus walked and he spoke, uh, the, the, the Mount of the Blessings, uh, uh, of the Beatitudes, I'm sorry, was, is there facing and, and that's near Caesarea. And that's, this is the Sea of Galilee. The one on the bottom, the one on the bottom is the Dead Sea. Now, one of the things about this is that these two seas, these two lakes are connected. And they are connected by the Jordan River. So the Jordan River goes north to south. The Sea of Galilee grows, grows because all the rain that is collected in the mountains comes down into the valley where the, where the sea is. And, and there's life, there's vegetation, there's fish. That's why the fishermen were there. There's all kinds of life, even today. And this sea lets its water go into the Jordan River. And when the water from the Jordan River comes down into the Dead Sea, what happens is that the Dead Sea has no outlet. Everything gets stuck there. Nothing goes out of there. In fact, it is so bad that the water is so dense that if you taste it, it's bitter. And all kinds of people float. And I say all kinds because, see, I have negative buoyancy. If I'm standing, in, there's a buoyancy test, and this is quite interesting. Uh, if, you, if you go through water safety training, they make you jump into the pool with your hands on your side. Have you ever done it? And they make you jump into the, into the pool with your hands on your side. And normal people, their heads come out of the water without doing anything. That's positive buoyancy. All that comes out of the water for me is my forehead. I have negative buoyancy. But in the Dead Sea, I can flow with my arms and feet out of the water. Because it's so dense. But that density... Because everything that comes in stays there. That density has caused the Dead Sea to kill anything that tries to live in there. That is why it's called the Dead Sea. Because there is no life. It's just salt. I want you to see this picture. The Sea of Galilee has life because the water that comes in goes out. Are you waking up? The Dead Sea takes in, takes in, takes in, but nothing goes out. So it's dead. If you want to be spiritually fit, some stuff has to come out. And that's called witnessing. When the things that come 
from God to your life are shared with others. Tell your story. Now, some of you might say, well, this is really difficult. This is really difficult. I, I, I don't have the energy. I don't even know how. See, every, everything that is new and that we've never done, we're afraid to do it. Anything that, that we have never done before, like going to, to, to a first work at a, a CrossFit place or trying to swim your first lap across a pool, it is scary. It is difficult. And yet, you, yes, you might be sore. However, it is not impossible. And when, see, when we're talking about the things of God, God has promised that he's going to be with us every step of the way. And he's telling us, press on, press on, press on. I'm with you. I'm with you. And as you keep going and you keep pushing, the weight gets lighter. And you get more energy. You know why? Because you, be, you will turning into a person that is spiritually fit. And as we think of this, Casey's going to come and she's going to sing the song that allow us, that would help us to think, I'm pressing on. When the mountain is deep, when the body Once we've given up. 